This audio is a presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at hamillopc.com. That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com. Our text this morning is Genesis 24. You're looking at the entire chapter. This is a bit of a longer text, but it does all go together. Tell one story of one particular event. And so we will be looking at the whole thing as it is a bit of a longer reading. If you are unable to stand for the duration, I understand. But I will be reading the entirety of Genesis chapter 24. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. He made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women would go out to draw water. Then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, Please let down your pitcher that I may drink, and she says, Drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one that you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. 
And the man wondering at her remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing ten shekels of gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, We have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. And the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. He said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. Now Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran out to the man by the well. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, and when he heard the words of his sister Rebekah, saying, Thus the man spoke to me, that he went to the man. And there he, there he stood by the camels at the well. And he said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. And the man came to the house, and he unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. And he said, Speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. <clears throat> and Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. Now my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son." And I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And you shall take a wife for my son, from my family and from my father's house. You will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family. For if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. And this day I came to the well and said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water, and it shall come to pass when the virgin comes out to draw water, and I say to her, Please give me a little water from your pitcher to drink. And she says to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son." But before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebekah coming out with her pitcher on the shoulder. And she went down to the well and drew water. And I said to her, please let me drink. And she made haste to let her pitcher down from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels a drink also. So I drank and she gave the camels a drink also. Then I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists. And I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will deal kindly with me, deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if, 
If not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the, th the thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go and let her be your master's son's wife as the Lord had spoken. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing, and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning, and he said, Send me away to my master. But her brother and mother said, Let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least ten. After that she may go. And he said to them, do not hinder me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. So they said, We will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands, of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Then Rebekah and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Now Isaac came from the way of Beer Laha Roy, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Then Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel, for she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant <clears throat> told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is the word of the Lord. May he bless it in our hearing. You may be seated. Let us pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would illuminate our hearts that we might understand it and receive it, that we would see not only this chapter in our family history, the history of your covenant people, but that we would also see shown forth your sovereignty over all things, your providence, and your covenant faithfulness to your people. And even in this text, I pray that we would see shown forth our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom alone we have salvation. We pray this in his name. Amen. Last week, we saw Abraham dealing with the greatest of human sorrows. He lost his wife, Sarah. She died. And this raised a need for Abraham to not only bury his wife, but to get the affairs of his house in order as he was aging and nearing his own death. And so he executed a transaction with the Hethites of Hebron to purchase a burial plot where Sarah and Later, he and two successive generations of his family would be laid to rest. We also learned in our text last week a report from Abraham's extended family that remained in the east. His brother Nahor had been blessed with many descendants. 
So these two items from our text last week bring us to our events recorded here in chapter 24. Abraham saw that his brother already had two generations of descendants, children and grandchildren. Also, Abraham had lost his beloved wife, and so the concept of a wife and of marriage would weigh heavily on his mind. And he recognizes a predicament for his son Isaac. Isaac was now nearly 40 years old, had never been married, and had no children of his own. Isaac is supposed to have innumerable descendants, like the stars of the sky and the sands on the seashore. So this present situation will not do. In our text today, it's a long chapter, but it does tell this one story. And we will look at it in four points. First, we see will in verses 1 through 9. Abraham resolves, he wills, he purposes to find his son a wife, and he will take steps to bring this to pass. Second, we see a well in verses 10 through 28. By God's providence, what might seem as a chance encounter at a well is exactly how God provides for this need for his people. And third, we see work in verses 29 through 58. There are arrangements that must be made for Isaac's wife to go to her new home. There's the possibility of delay. And then fourth and finally, a wedding in verses 59 through 67. The wife is brought and marries Isaac. So again, we have a will, a well, work, and a wedding. Those are our points for this morning. First, we see a will in verses 1 through 9. So Abraham has been blessed through all his life and all that he has and does. However, in light of those things that happened immediately before this, he recognizes that Isaac needs to have a wife. It may even be that Abraham was negligent in this matter. He hadn't made proper arrangements for a wife for his son. Again, he's nearly 40 years old. Now, people lived longer back then, but that's still quite a long time to not really do anything about such a pressing matter. But now Abraham is ready to act on this. And he enlists his most trusted servant. We learn that this is the oldest servant he had, the one who ruled over his whole house. We don't get his name. It's rather fascinating. We never hear this servant's name, even though he plays such an integral part in this story. But he would have essentially been Abraham's steward, his butler, his household manager. Abraham is likely too old to fulfill this task himself, given the travel involved. He's not ready, he's not willing to go back to the land from which he came. However, he does want this task, important as it is, in the hands of the most trustworthy person he has at his disposal. And so he chooses this servant. And he has his servant swear in the custom of swearing of that day, putting his hand under the thigh. And he has him swear that he will not take a wife for Isaac from the Canaanites and that he will not take Isaac back to the land from which they came. Now, why is this? Abraham had generally good relations with the Canaanites. We saw last time they were trying to give him land for free. They liked him. They respected him. But the Canaanites are pagans. They don't worship God. 
taking a wife from among these pagans and living in their land would almost certainly produce a corrupting influence on Isaac and on future generations, as intermarriage between believers and unbelievers always does. This is why Scripture is so clear to prohibit such things. It's why Paul writes that it is wrong to be unequally yoked. Few things are more corrosive and destructive to the Christian life than intermarriage between believers and unbelievers. Now, Abraham's family in the East, they are not necessarily believers either. We find out later in Genesis that Laban and his house engaged in idolatry. But at least a wife brought from among them is leaving whatever local influence and local gods that she had behind. Now, also, why does... Why does Abraham not want Isaac to go on this journey? Well, Abraham has been called from out of that land. He was called to go and dwell in this new land, in the land of Canaan. In a certain sense, it would be going back on God's promises to send Isaac back to the east. What if Isaac went there and wanted to stay? It would be an undoing, it would be an unraveling of obedience to God and heeding God's word and seeking to follow God according to what God has promised. Now we also see in this text something that may seem peculiar to us in our day. We see that this marriage up to and including who is marrying who is being overseen by parents. Or in Abraham's case, a trusted servant of a parent, a third party. This is not what you typically see in our day. It's something that is largely lost in our day. Since the 19th century, we've seen the rise of romanticism and feminism. In the 20th century, we saw the sexual revolution and all the things that that brought. So that now in our day, people just generally marry whoever they want, whenever they want. The will of parents, the will of the church, the will of others is just largely cut out of the equation. And I would dare say this has not moved the world in a good direction. John Calvin, for instance, commenting on this text in Genesis 24, he actually sees this text as prescriptive. He writes, now this example should be taken by us as a common rule to show that it is not lawful for the children of a family to contract marriage except with the consent of parents. Certainly, natural equity dictates that in a matter of such importance, children should depend on the will of their parents. So if you are someone who may marry in the future, or if you have children who may marry in the future, it is a good and right thing for children to heed the will of godly parents in deciding who they will marry. The parents will probably notice things that can get lost among the stars in the eyes and the butterflies in the stomach of young love and romance. And yet we live in an age where parental influence and authority, particularly fatherly influence and authority, is undermined and ignored and neglected like never before. So much of culture paints parents as backwards, outdated, They just don't understand. And so it's seen in our day as acceptable and natural for children to just follow their own hearts and their own ways and their own wills and 
rebel against their parents in whatever they desire to do. And it is no accident that at a time where marriage is taken most lightly and where people are allegedly the most free and liberated that they've ever been and the most romantic in marriage decisions that we now see marriages fail at astounding rates we have never seen before in the history of the world. We're not doing better than those before us. This isn't progress in a good direction. We need to disabuse ourselves of these progressive notions of history that things are always getting better and that the major changes we've undergone even recently are positive developments, that they're all for the better. We are in fact seeing on many sides moral decline and decay in society and especially in human relationships and marriage and in sexuality. In the name of so-called progress, we're actually seeing an increase of wickedness and regression. All of that to say, Abraham is very concerned with who his son will marry, and Rachel's family is very concerned, or Rebecca's family is very concerned with who she will marry. So Abraham's servant swears, and he is off on his journey. And this brings us to our second point, the well, in verses 10 through 28. Now we see that this servant takes with him ten camels. We also find out later that he takes some other men with him, but it seems he takes more camels than he needs. Now why does he do that? Well, Calvin notes that part of this is to show that Abraham is rich. Abraham has so many animals. He has so much money that he can just spare extra camels send him on this journey for no apparent reason, and it not be a burden. So any prospective bride or prospective bride's family would might struggle with sending their daughter or herself going to a strange land, but knowing that she'll be provided for, that she's going to a situation of wealth, that would help to sweeten the deal. So the servant travels east to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor, the city where Nahor's descendants dwelled. And he does what makes sense after a long journey. When he gets there, he stops to water his camels. Of course, he does this strategically. Typically, in a case like this, in a city like this, where everybody had to draw water from the same well, women would be the ones who would do that task they wouldn't do it in the heat of the day. It would be a lot harder to do. It would be a lot less productive. They'd either go out in the morning or they would go out in the evening when it's cool. So the servant times his arrival at the well so that he'll be there when the women are coming out. And he also, most importantly of all, he prays to God to aid him in this matter, to guide him to the woman that he should obtain for Isaac. He basically sets up a test and asks God to work through it. He'll ask for a drink for himself, but the woman who goes the extra mile and waters the animals, she will show herself virtuous and hardworking and kind, demonstrating the sort of qualities that one would want in a wife. And God is pleased to grant this request. Before the servant is even finished speaking, here comes Rebecca. Remember, she is the daughter of Nahor by Bethuel. She's already there with her pitcher. She's beautiful. She's a virgin. 
And she accepts when the man asks for a drink. She says she will get him a drink. But also, as proposed in the test, without any further asking, she also says she'll draw water for these 10 camels. Now again, this is a lot of camels, and camels can drink a lot of water. This wasn't just an easy task. But she goes the extra mile. She's willing to do it to show care and hospitality for this man. Now it would be easy at this point for the servant to decide, okay, I'm done. I've got what I came here for. But we do see that he's initially cautious. He's initially silent. He wants to see what happens next. And when the camels were done drinking, he then takes out the gold, the gifts that were intended for the bride he was to find, but he asks whose daughter she was, and turns out she checks the rest of the boxes too. She's a daughter of the son of Nahor. And she shows hospitality. She wants to arrange for a place for this guest and those with him to stay. So, so far, this has all gone very well. It's gone better than anyone could have expected. And the servant does the right thing. He praises God for his provision. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. God has promised to make Abraham a great nation. God has provided Isaac as the son through whom these covenant promises will be carried forth. And here he has provided a wife. The servant continues, As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. He'd gone on this long journey into a strange land, into a city. There was any number of young women he could have encountered at the well, and yet it just so happens that the first woman he meets checks all the boxes he is seeking for a wife for Isaac. Nothing happens by chance. Nothing happens out of God's control. God led him exactly where he needed to go to exactly the person he needed to meet. Now, Rebecca, she runs and tells her family these things. So, so far, God has blessed this journey. He has remembered his promises to Abraham and provided exactly what was needed for Isaac. But there is more to come. This brings us to our third point. After the will and the well, we come to the work in verses 29 through 58. Now, in verse 29, we meet Laban. Laban is Rebekah's brother. Laban will end up being an important figure later in Genesis in the story of Jacob, and it won't be for very good reasons or very good behavior. But he is Rebekah's brother. It seems that Bethuel isn't really doing much at this point. He only is even mentioned as being here once in this passage. He may be very old. He may not be able to manage his house, and so a lot of that has now fallen to Laban. But Laban will be involved in this episode with Rebekah. So Laban comes out to the well and meets this servant of Abraham's. After Rebekah reports, and he sees the gold jewelry that she has received, Laban's suddenly interested, he's suddenly paying attention, and he comes and welcomes the servant and his camels to their house. Now the servant is shown the usual hospitality. His animals are fed, his feet are washed, which you can remember that's not a clean or pleasant job in a culture where people wore open-toed shoes and walked everywhere. 
and then also a feast is set before them. But the servant doesn't want to eat. Not yet, not until he gets down to the business he has came for. He explains who he is and why he's there. That he is Abraham's servant. Now he does well to describe the material prosperity of Abraham. Any family, considering sending their daughter away, needs to make sure that she'll be taken care of, especially since this is the ancient world. She may be leaving never to see them again. This isn't like now where if you know one of your family members went away, you can just call them on the phone and talk to them right away, or you can fly to see them if you'd like. It took decades for Abraham to hear about what had come of Nahor's family, and it might be decades again before Rebekah sees or hears any news from her family. So the servant talks about Isaac, how he was born to Abraham and Sarah in their old age, and how Abraham purposed him to come find Isaac a wife. Now he also does not shy away from his or Abraham's faith in the Lord and the spiritual reasons of why he has come, that they were not to take a wife from among the Canaanites. Now just imagine someone shows up at your house and tells you that God wills for him to take your daughter as a wife for someone far, far away. Might be a little bit of a tough sell, but God is working specially in this case. And the servant explains the sign that God gave him at the well and how God has providentially brought him to the house of Abraham's family. And then in verse 49, the servant basically puts everything on the table. He wants to know if they will deal kindly and truly with Abraham. Now you would think being family, this would be a given, but remember they're distant family. Most of the people this servant would be dealing with, they weren't even born the last time Abraham was around. Who knows what has happened since? Who knows what kind of people he is now dealing with? We will see later in the ordeal with Jacob and Laban that there is at least somewhat of a propensity to treachery in this family, even taking advantage of relatives. Is that going to happen here? Well, in verses 50 and 51, it seems that they are agreeable to the thing that has been brought before them. They agree with sending Rebekah with him. They acknowledge the thing has come from the Lord and they have nothing to say about it. And the servant responds appropriately. In verse 52, he first and foremost again praises God, acknowledges his provision in the matter. He has prospered this journey and made it fruitful. And there's a celebration in the form of more gifts. The servant brought much valuable and fancy jewelry and clothing, gave them to Rebekah, and also gave gifts to her family. And the servant and those with him, they ate and drank and stayed the night. It was quite the festive occasion. And they wake up and they're ready to head back home with Rebekah. But then we see a potential roadblock. Laban and Milcah want to wait. They don't say exactly why. There are reasons for this. Some could be good, some could be bad. It would be difficult just to so quickly and so out of the blue lose your sister, lose your daughter. She's moving off to a new life forever and you may never see her again. She's going to a good life, but it would still be a hard thing. 
But there's also risks if they wait, if they stay behind. What if she changes her mind? What if her family changes her mind? Or what if her family, remember, we've got Laban involved here. What if he realizes, oh, we've got this rich family member out west. Maybe we can somehow play him for more of his wealth and possessions. All this to say, waiting was not something that Abraham's servant wanted to do, and with good reason. Not only for those reasons, but because he's committed to finishing the job that he has been given by his master. He knows God has blessed his mission, but the task is not yet done. And so he insists that they leave right away, without the waiting ten days or more that Laban and Milcah would like. And so the family decides to let Rebecca decide this matter for herself. They call her in and ask her. Although her family is exercising oversight and authority in who she will marry, this doesn't mean that her agency, her will to do it, is completely missing. And we see that she decides to go right away. She's willing and ready to go. And so the stage is set for our final point. After the will, the well, and the work, we come to the wedding, verses 59 through 66. Rebecca and her nurse, a servant who would have helped to raise her, they go along with Abraham's men. And they also send Rebecca with a parting blessing, one that may sound familiar to us. First they say, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands. This does sound like the Abrahamic promises, these promises of innumerable descendants, numerous as the sand and stars. Well, Rebecca will be part of how these promises are brought to pass. And then we see another familiar-sounding blessing. And may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Again, we've seen similar things before promised to Abraham. This is fulfilled not only in the physical nation of Israel that will have its various victories and conquests, but it comes to its highest, highest recognition in the salvation of the nations through Christ, the conquering force of the gospel in all the earth. That is ultimately where these promises point. That is how all the nations of the earth are blessed through Abraham. And so they take Rebecca and they go on their journey. It just so happens that the first person they encounter on the return is Isaac himself. They come to a place we have heard of before, Be'er Laha Roy. This was actually the place back in chapter 16 where Hagar had fled when she was persecuted by Sarah back in chapter 16. Almost ironically, this is now where Abraham and his family dwelt. Now Isaac was there meditating. He was praying. He was practicing personal piety towards God. Probably a good situation for your future wife to find you in. Isaac notices the caravan is coming, and so he comes to meet them. Maybe he sees them from a distance. He's like, oh, I recognize those ten camels, many of them without people on them because they didn't really need to go, but we don't need to dwell on that anymore. Well, Rebecca sees Isaac doesn't know who he is, so she asks and finds out it's Isaac. So she veils herself. It was the custom in that time that a bride would be veiled. Her husband would not see her until they were married. 
And then in verse 66, the servant reports back to Isaac, presumably also to Abraham, all that has happened. And Isaac marries Rebekah and loves her. Now, it might seem strange to us. This was essentially an arranged marriage between strangers. And yet nothing in that precludes the two of them from loving each other. In our day, we so often treat love as something subjective and fleeting. But often love is an act of will. We can love because we decide to love. We commit to love. You can hear the objectors of our day complaining at something like that. They say things like, well, they never met before. They don't know if they had attraction. They don't know if they were compatible. And yet they were married and they would stay married their whole lives. They would love each other. Now, that doesn't mean it was always easy. You'll see later in Genesis some signs where Rebecca and Isaac aren't quite on the same page. But they stayed married. They resolved to love and they did love. Maybe you're here today and you're married and your marriage is difficult. Resolve to love, will to love even if it's a difficult situation. Pray that love would grow in your heart and in your spouse's heart. Tune out the narcissistic noise of our world where it so frequently talks about love and marriage as something that's all about you and all about what you want. No, will to love, resolve to love, and pray to love the one God has given you. So, the end of all of this, we have a wedding. Isaac and Rebekah are married. He takes her to his mother's tent, which would now be his tent as his mother has died. And the future of the covenant family is now secured. We also see here that Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Sarah having died would have been difficult for Isaac. She would have been a constant in his life, and now she was gone. But time goes on, and life goes on after grief. And now Isaac has a wife of his own, and he is prepared to be the man that God has called him to be, fulfill his covenantal purposes. And also this joy of love and marriage prevails over the sorrow of loss and death. So what do we make of this text here today? It is a historical account. It is a piece of our family history from the family of God, but it is more than that. For one, we see God's covenantal faithfulness. He has purposed Abraham to be the father of nations and Isaac to be the son that carries these blessings forward, and he provides what is necessary for his promises to come to pass. He guides Abraham's servant provides the wife Isaac needs. He keeps his promises and cares for his people. Maybe you're here today and think you're alone in the world. You wonder if God cares for you. You wonder if God will help you. God is in control of all things. And all things, even the hard things, God works together for the good of those who love him. It was out of Isaac's sorrow and loss that his greatest joy came. And the same can be true of you. But God's promises do not merely extend to the blessings of this earth, life and marriage and things of the sort. They are focused on the eternal. 
God preserved His covenant line so that one day Christ would come through it. Christ would be born, a son of Abraham, a son of David. And He would fulfill what was necessary for the covenant of grace by offering Himself as a once-for-all perfect sacrifice to make atonement for sin. See, Abraham and Isaac and every other person who ever lived were sinners. The promises couldn't terminate on them. They couldn't be fulfilled in them. But they are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This piece of family history anticipates its ultimate purposes, the redemption of the world through Christ. Really, marriage itself is the greatest picture we have of Christ who loves the church, His bride, with a perfect kind of love. Not because of any inherent virtue in her. I mean, the church is made up of a bunch of fallen sinners like you and like me. But this is because of who He is. Because of His perfect love. In this account in Genesis, we see the Gospel shown forth. And if you hear it today... For the first time, the call was to repent of your sins and believe in Christ for forgiveness of your sins and everlasting life. But if you are in Christ, we've heard many things in this text. They may sound strange to us. They may challenge us in this day and moment in which we live. Do we honor parents? Do we honor marriage? Do we honor the one God has given us to marry? Do we resolve to love standing against so many of the false things the world tells us about love. The world feeds us constant lies and deceptions and delusions, but God's Word is steadfast and true. And so in this text, we are challenged to love and to serve and to honor those God has given us and to live lives that honor and glorify and trust in Him for all things. So may that be true of us today. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for this Word that You've given us. We thank You that in this we see many things taught concerning human relationships, but that we also see shown forth Your covenant faithfulness and even the Gospel of Jesus Christ shown forth in a shadowy form. I pray that all of us here gathered would know and believe and receive this Gospel, and that in light of this Gospel truth, we would live lives of love and service to one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information, you can visit our website, hamillopc.com. That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com.